exciting to be here tonight, isn't it? This is a, a long-awaited night for us here at 213, just a, an opportunity for us to gather as women, connect around God's Word. And that is the desire of our heart tonight, is that you will leave here a little closer to Jesus than when you walked in here. Um, this is just the first event of an exciting year of events. Um, you'll be hearing more about those in the days ahead. But you can expect events like this quarterly. So come along, join us, invite your friends. Um, we also have a ladies Bible study beginning February the 21st. Miss Lori Hopkins will be leading that. It is called Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. And so if you would like to sign up for that or just get more details, um, you can see her afterwards. You do not have to be a Church 213 girl to do that. Just see her and she'll give you the information of how to do that. Um, we have a lot of new faces here tonight. So I'm going to try to sum up my almost four decades of living in less than four minutes, okay? Just to catch you up. Um, my name is Debbie Wyatt. Um, I am the oldest of three kids. I have two younger brothers. So I have all of those typical firstborn traits. Like I'm a perfectionist. My brothers say I'm bossy. I just think my ideas are better than theirs. Um, but I was at the age of five. My dad began pastoring, and at the age of seven, he became um, a lead pastor at a church. And so I grew up as a PK, had a great home life, um, kind of just lived the dream of um, two parents who loved the Lord and who loved us well. Uh, fast forward to my high school years. I'm telling you, I'm going to keep it short, so we're going to leave out all the the boring years, right? So fast forward to high school, and when I was 15, I met Ryan, and as they say, the rest is history. We've been married for almost 21 years, and we have three kiddos that are all spread out. We have one in college, one in middle school, and one in elementary. So there is never a dull moment at our house, and someone is always hungry. Uh, Ryan is the lead pastor here, and I am on staff at our local pregnancy resource center, which is a pro-life organization. Um, in Newton County. And so that's it. That's four years. It, it's kind of sad to me that I can sum it up in four minutes, but yet you know, that's, that's the four years. But I'm excited for us to gather tonight as women because women just get each other, right? I mean, like we just understand some things that men cannot understand. Uh, for example, you guys will all understand why chocolate is just needed sometimes. Like it's not a want, it's not a maybe, it's needed sometimes, right? And you also understand why if said chocolate cannot be found, it's a level three emergency. Anybody, else, anybody have their favorite brand of chocolate, right? Okay, see, women get that. Men are like, we have a favorite jerky. But women get this whole, which I'm not going to lie, I have a favorite jerky too. But women get too that if you go to take a group picture, there's always going to be one person who has to move so that you get their best side. If you saw us trying to take a picture out there, you understand that. Studies show that women use, on average, 20,000 words a day compared to men's 7,000 words a day. But women understand that sometimes you just need to make a short story long because we need all the details, right? And bless it, other women just get it when you have to stop and cross your legs to sneeze, <laughs> right? Like, there, yeah, amen. Okay, I knew I'd get an amen there. There are just some things that women get that other people, that men just cannot get. And as women, we just get each other. But Satan wants to take that, and he wants to distort that appreciation, and he wants to turn it into unhealthy comparisons. We're tempted to compare ourselves to other people and say, oh, 
I want to I want to look like her or I want my kids to act like hers or I want to be her and that's not how God planned it but we find ourselves wishing we could be her and so tonight that's what we're going to talk about I want to be her but it's not going to be in the sense that you might be thinking this is not a positive self-image talk we're not going to go there tonight that's fine but that's not where we're going when you look at other women, you may see all the different things that lead to unhealthy comparisons. And Satan may try to take you down those roads of just thinking that you're not enough and you don't measure up. But there is one thing I can guarantee you we all have in common, and that is that we all face hard times, right? Like we all face hard battles, struggles that leave us just lonely and weary and questioning life. Every person in this room walked in here tonight with a story. Whether it's past or it's something you're in the middle of now, that's just hard stuff. That has just left you wondering, God, are you even here anymore? Because life can be really hard. There are things that we inherit, you know, things that come to us based on someone else's choices or decisions. I mean, if we're honest, some of you were just dealt a bad, a bad deck of cards in life. Right? You've just had to walk some roads that you never asked for. But then sometimes there's hard things in our life that are of our own making. We've made some choices that now we're having to walk out the consequences. And then sometimes there's just hard things because this world is full of sin. And by default, there is sin in our life, which means that there's selfishness, there's greed, there's power struggles, there's death, there's sickness. There are just hard things. There's hard things that inconvenience us, and then there's hard things that knock the breath out of us. And I'm guessing that some of you have experienced those things that just knock the breath out of you. And so when we walk through those battles, those seasons of hard things, it can leave us weary. It can leave us with broken relationships, broken bodies, broken just hearts. And it can leave us wondering, God, do you see me? Like, God, I know you're good, but are you still good to me? And it can leave us wondering, is he still faithful? But here's what I can guarantee you. When I look at God's word, he is faithful. And when I look at my personal relationship, I just celebrated 31 years of walking with the Lord. I can tell you, he is faithful. And when I look at some of your lives and what God's been doing in your lives, I can testify to the fact that he has a purpose in the midst of it all. And if you're like me, you want to believe that God's going to do something good. You want to believe it even when it doesn't look like that. But man, that process of getting there, that process is hard, isn't it? To still believe that God's good when everything is falling apart. And so if you find yourself watching someone whose world is just in shambles, who their world is falling apart, maybe they're walking through a scary diagnosis or a divorce problems with their children, broken relationships, whatever it is that, that is that hard thing, you probably don't find yourself saying, I want to be her, right? I mean, when we see their perfect little posted pictures on Instagram or their perfectly decorated homes, we're like, why can't I be like that? But when we're walking, watching people's worlds fall apart, we're typically not saying, I want to be like her. But that's the very thing I want to challenge you tonight, and that's where we're going to be in scriptures. What does it mean to be her? Tonight, we're going to dive into one of my favorite passages. So if you have your Bibles, great. If not, it's going to be on the screen. 
It's one of my favorite passages. It's a short one. Um, the, the setting's kind of crazy. It's got some relatable people. The message is powerful. But this text has encouraged me, and it has challenged me, and I've seen it lived out through some of my favorite people in this room. And because of their faithfulness to live it out, it has made me fall in love with them more and fall in love with these scriptures more. My friends that are here tonight, I have a, I asked three in particular to be here. They have walked with me in my darkest valleys. And if I don't make eye contact, it's just because I don't want to cry. Uh, but they have walked with me through my darkest valleys. And they have sat down in my grief with me. And there were times when I just couldn't catch my breath. I mean, I couldn't fathom putting one foot in front of the other. But they were a safe place where I could process the hurt, where I could process what I was feeling, and they loved me through it all, often in spite of me. Um, and seeing God's word lived out is such a gift. We're going to be in Exodus 17. So we're headed to the Old Testament right there at the beginning. If you want to go ahead and flip there. While you're getting there, let me set the stage for you, though. Because when we dive into Exodus 17, there's already a lot that has happened. When we arrive at this text, the Israelites, who were God's chosen people, who were set aside to be an example of God's faithfulness. So the Israelites at this point, they've already been slaves in Egypt. They've already had the time where Moses went before Pharaoh pleading for them to be set free. We've already seen the plagues when we get to this point in the text. And now we are at, we've just witnessed the Exodus, the great Exodus. Remember when they get to the Red Sea and God parts the Red Sea and shows his faithfulness? I mean, any, any one of those things should have been enough to take them out. But when they got to that Red Sea, I mean, that was a death trap. Pharaoh's army's chasing after them, and they get to the Red Sea, and that should have been the end of the line for them. But God, once again, does a miracle. He parts the Red Seas, and in that moment, they move from would-be death to life through the waters, right? So all of this has happened when we get to Exodus 17. And then the beginning of Exodus 17 we see God testing the Israelites over and over to prove his faithfulness to them. But then we arrive at chapter 17, and the Israelites are testing the Lord. And they're whining again. That's kind of their thing. Um, anybody relate? That's kind of their thing. I do that sometimes too. We will not ask for any amens from those close to me. Uh, but the Israelites are whining again that they, they don't have water and so God does yet another miracle, and he proves himself faithful yet again to them. And that's where we arrive right here at Exodus 17. And so we are going to start. Oh, let me tell you one more thing before we start. Let me read you one more thing before we dive into my favorite passage. So God has done this miracle again of water, and here's what Exodus 17, 7 says. Moses Name the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? And I'm guessing someone here tonight is asking that same question. But it probably sounds something like, God, are you even here anymore? Do you see me? Do you see what I'm going through? And when it comes to God's faithfulness, y'all, we can be like the Israelites. We see the last 20 minutes and the next 20 steps, and we forget all the ways he's been faithful. And so they're asking this question. God, are you even here anymore? And that leads us right up to our text in Exodus 17. So we're going to read um, 
Start at verse 8, and I'm going to read the remainder of this passage. At Rephidim, Amalek came and fought against Israel. Moses said to Joshua, Select some men for us and go fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. While Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. When Moses' hands grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. The Lord then said to Moses, Write this down on a scroll as a reminder and recite it to Joshua. I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. And Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Indeed, my hand is lifted up toward the Lord's throne. The Lord will be at war with Amalek from generation to generation. And that's my favorite passage. Verses 8 and 9 go ahead and kind of set the stage for us. It gives us the facts. Amalek is attacking Israel. And Moses puts Joshua in charge of gathering an army in less than 24 hours. Um, and then Moses plans to go stand on a hill with a stick. I mean, I'm not a war strategist, but it kind of sounds like this plan is doomed, right? I, I'm thinking... It might not work out. But if you study scripture and if you study the history just a little bit, you'll quickly realize that the Israelites were the underdogs in this situation. Joshua, he didn't have a standing army where he could go pick out the best of the best. Instead, he would look for volunteers and amateurs who were willing to depend on God for their success because this was to be a holy war. If you've ever found yourself saying, but God, I'm not equipped for this battle, the Israelites right here are going, same. Like, we're not equipped either. Have you seen our army? This is a motley crew that we've got going out there to defend us. But then battle day comes, and Joshua's out there with his, his mighty men, and he's fighting Amalek. And Moses is on the hill, but he brought company. So Moses is on the hill, and he has Aaron and Hur with him. Verse 10 tells us that Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. So Aaron and Hur have joined him on the hill. Now, if you're familiar with Exodus, you've probably heard of Aaron. This is Moses' brother, and he was also appointed to be the spokesman for Moses when Moses went before the Lord and said, but I have this speech problem, I, I, I can't talk. And so Moses was, Aaron was appointed to be his spokesman. But Hur is a little less known. Most people do not even know that he exists. We learn very little about him in this passage, and we learn very little about him in the scriptures. So Hur's story is one of quality, not quantity. And I think I would be okay with that, right? If that were said about me at the end of my life, that it's, it was about quality, not quantity. But the thing with her is that his presence in this short text, this short passage, impacted Moses, the Israelites, generations to come, and it definitely impacted me. Have you guys ever found yourself in that place where the pain is so great that you can't get your breath? And like you really just, you don't know how to go on to the next step. That pain is so intense. 
there's been a lot of hard seasons. I mean, that's just life. There's been hard seasons throughout my years. Um, but a few years ago, I walked through one of the deepest valleys as I watched our family unit that I grew up with just come crumbling down. And my two brothers and I, three in-laws, six grandkids, grandparents, people who had linked arms with us over 30 years in ministry were all left picking up the pieces of brokenness from divorce. And it was, our, our home was just, um, to help you understand, it was just really a place of love and very little drama. It was the type of place you wanted to keep going back to even as an adult. And if you had asked me, what was more practical, me joining the WNBA at this point in my life, or my parents divorcing, I would have without a doubt said, toss me the basketball and at least get me a cute jersey, right? I mean, it was just that unfathomable that something like that would happen. And I remember the call that, that just changed my entire life and changed the tra trajectory of our life. I remember standing in my room. I can still tell you what the sounds in our house were. Um, and I just remember literally my legs going out from under me and hitting the ground and hearing cries come out of me that I didn't recognize. And in that moment, everything I'd ever known just came crumbling down. And I was left just feeling shaken, and my confidence and security was shaken, and I, just, I didn't know what to do in that moment. And I remember later that day laying in the bed with Parker, our son, and we were just talking and crying, and I was just claiming the name Jesus over my crew because I honestly didn't know what else to do. As Shelby said, sometimes we just get to the bottom of the barrel and there's nothing left. And I was just claiming the name of Jesus over them. And I, I told Parker, I vowed to him, I said, my story will be different. And there will be victory in my story. I'm claiming it. And in that moment, I felt like Moses marching up that hill with my staff, just claiming victory. But little did I know that that heartfelt declaration was going to be a hard road to walk. And that there would be twists and turns that I never could have imagined. There would be things come up that we couldn't expect. And honestly, we are still walking this out. And there are some days we are limping it out. Because it's still hard. And we're three years into this. But in the weariness of battle. after I know I just gave you some, some bad news. But in the weariness of battle, there is hope. There is hope. Not instant peace. I won't promise you that. There's not instant peace. There's not always reconciliation. There's not always removal of that hard thing. But there is a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness to use his people to write your story for his glory. And you see, God could have rescued our family story that day. He could have. He had the power to. And he could have done it on his own. He needs no help. But God, in his infinite kindness, chose to use people as the canvas for his provision. And he chose to bring my friends of over a decade, Kelly, Melissa, and Brooke alongside, to walk that with me because he is kind like that. And he uses people to show his goodness. Ladies, don't isolate yourself. I get it. I get that when you are in the midst of a hard time, all you want to do is withdraw. It's too much to talk to people. It's too much to be around people. Don't isolate yourself. Don't quit going to your churches. Don't quit answering those texts because you're going to need some people to come alongside you. You're going to need them. It's going to take an army to fight your battle. 
So don't isolate yourself, but don't take my word for it. Let's look at what happened when Moses surrounded himself with Aaron and her. Verses 11 and 12 tell us that while Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. When Moses' hands grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. That staff, that holy stick, that was not magical. There was nothing to that piece of material that was magical. But instead, it was a symbol of God's sovereignty in the midst of the battle. It properly acknowledged that he would be the source of the victory. And so as Moses marched up that hill with that stick, that's the truth he was proclaiming, is that God will bring victory. Moses, just like any of us would, he grew weary. It wasn't because he was old or because he was out of shape. Deuteronomy 34 tells us that actually when he died, he died strong and full of vitality. So it wasn't because of something he did. It was because us as humans, we're not meant to do this for infinite amounts of time. I mean, y'all give me two minutes and I'm going to be tired, right? But Moses wasn't wired to do that and he grew weary. And I can promise you that there are people all around you, all around you, whether it's work or in your churches or even in your homes, who they're trying to raise their hands. They are trying to praise the Lord and they're trying to claim that victory, but they're growing weary. And I don't know what their battles look like. I don't know every story in this room. I don't know what you walked in here with. But here's the thing. People grow weary and they end up bankrupt, whether spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. And they're walking a hard road. And that's exactly when they need you to be her. Be her for them. There are probably people around you who are struggling to believe, is God real? Does he notice me? I mean, I get that God's good, but is he still good to me? And they need you to be her. So how do we do it? I'm so glad you asked. How do we be her for those people who are struggling? Verse 12 tells us that, they, that when Moses' hands grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it. And then Aaron and Hur supported his hands one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. So here's what we have to do. If I want to be her, I have to be willing to be an arm lifter and a burden bearer. You've got to be an arm lifter and a burden bearer. Aaron and her, they didn't give Moses a pep talk. They didn't give him a sermon in that moment. They didn't strategize over what he could do to fix the situation. They didn't even offer to take his place. Because they knew that this was his battle to fight. But what they did, they did three things. They met his immediate need, they shared the burden, and they stayed until the end. So meet the immediate need, share the burden, and stay until the end. You know, social media has allowed us to be able to kind of see what some people's struggles are because people will post and they'll say, hey, will you pray for me about this? And so it's, it's made it a little easier to just hit that care emoji and, and drop a, a comment that you're praying and then move on. Sometimes we'll send someone a text, hey, I'm praying for you. But when you see someone who's in a tragedy, right, like, man, their world is falling apart, we'll often say something like, call me if you need anything. 
right? And we mean it. Like, we honestly mean if you need me to scrub your floors with a toothbrush, I'll do it. Just call me if you need anything. But here's the thing. When you are going, when like everything is falling apart, when your world is falling apart, it's too hard to tell somebody what you need. That's yet another thing that you have to try to process. And so if we want to be her, we have to just meet the immediate need. What did Aaron and her do? He's tired. We should get him something to sit on. His arms keep drooping. We should hold them up. Just look for the immediate need. You know what? People have to eat. Feed them. Put meals in their freezer so they don't have to think about it. Uh, people need basic household items. Pick it up and drop it off on their porch. If you're watching someone go through a hard time who has kids, I can tell you from experience, those kids move on faster than we do, and they need to be entertained, and there's a good chance that mom or daddy doesn't have the emotional energy to do it. So just pick them up and do things with them. Just meet the immediate need. Don't wait until you're asked. Just do it. In the span of one year, all three sets of our kids' grandparents divorced. And so a combined 70 years of marriage was dismantled in less than 12 months. To say that our crew was shaken is an understatement. To say that our kids were struggling is an understatement. But there were people like Veronica who would show up at our house and pick our girls up and they would take them home and give them all their favorite treats and they would bake cookies with them and spend time with them because they saw a need and they met it. Veronica and others like her, they didn't wait on me to say, hey, my girls need some grandmotherly affection. Instead, they saw a need and they met a need. If you want to be like her, just see the need and meet it. Don't wait until you're asked. But we also have to be willing to share the burden. Verse 12 tells us that Aaron and her supported Moses' hands. Now, I guarantee you that was not comfortable and that that got hard after a while for them but they were willing to share the burden. My deepest desire as we walk through this battle of um, just divorce and, and what it did to our family was that Christ would still be honored and that my children would not question the faithfulness of God because of how I responded. But the only way that was going to be possible is if people were willing to share the burden. And this is just where the kindness of Jesus leaves me undone. Because he was so precious and tender to me, there were so many people who loved us well through that season, whether it was prayers or cards or food or just sitting with us. But God chose, like he often does, to use people as the canvas for his greatest reveals. And he chose these three women to be Aaron and her for me and to sit there and hold my arms up. And y'all, it was a mess. And I'm sure there were times they're like, it's Debbie calling, right? But they were willing to share that burden with me. They cried with me. They let me vent. They always pointed me back to truth. They prayed over me, not once, day after day after day, all the way up to today. They are praying over me. Uh, out of our group, Brooke and I are probably the ones who talk the least on the phone. If you know me, you know I don't talk on the phone a lot. Um, but Brooke and I, we don't talk a lot on the phone. We don't text a lot. There may be weeks that we go without getting to chat. But something happened between Brooke and I that left us both just standing in awe of the Holy Spirit and his work. Without fail, and there's no exaggeration there, without fail, 
every time something major would happen. A tough decision being made, um, a tough phone call, a really hard moment, God would prompt Brooke to call and check in on me. Now, the first few times it was cute and it was sweet, and then it became a little creepy <laughs> because it was like every time. I mean, something bad would happen. I would just look at my phone like, Brooke's about to text. But then it left us just in tears at the kindness of God to use Brooke to speak life into me in those moments that I was growing so weary I couldn't hold my arms up anymore. Here's the way God works. When we're willing to share the burden with someone, what may begin as us helping them will often be the very thing that teaches us. And so when you raise someone else's arms, you know what happens to yours? They're lifted. And so carrying someone else's burden can be the very thing that helps us even get through our own burdens. And Brooke was willing, and Kelly, and Melissa, and so many of you were willing to be arm lifters and burden bearers. Look at 12 and 13 one more time with me. Y'all are going to have it memorized by the end of the night. That's my goal. When Moses' hands grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. And then verse 13, so Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. So Aaron and Hur, they met the immediate needs. They shared the burden, but then they stayed to the end. They let love linger, right? They just let it sit there, and they stayed to the end. They didn't just show up and do the good deed and bail. They didn't just drop off the meal and leave. They didn't just like and swipe and scroll on. They were in it for the long haul. And, y'all, I'm going to tell you, Walking through battles is messy business. Getting well from a sickness is messy business. And goodness, emotional healing is messy business. But Aaron and her were willing to be there for the long haul, to walk through it. So here's what I would encourage you to do. Some ways to be there until the end, to see it through. If you know someone who's lost a loved one, for example, it is so good to be there at that funeral and encourage them. But three months later and six months later when the crowds have dispersed, be there. Send those cards. Check on them at those holidays. If you have someone with an extend, extended illness, take those meals more than once. If you have someone who has some um, problems with their children or maybe there was a child in their home who's no longer there, check on them on Mother's Day and holidays. Be there for the long haul with them. If we want to be like her, and that's, that's my goal for you tonight, that you walk out of here saying, I want to be like her, then we must be willing to be arm lifters and burden bearers. And here's the cool thing about it. When we do that, God gets the glory. If you look at the text and you look down at 15 and 16, it says, and Moses built an altar and named it, the Lord is my banner. He said, indeed, my hand is lifted up toward the Lord's throne. The Lord will be at war with Amalek from generation to generation. So Moses builds this altar, and he names it, the Lord is my banner. And this is a way that they would have given praise in Old Testament times. He builds the altar, he names it, the Lord is my banner. But if we translate that, if you get a more literal translation of the original language, it would be Yahweh is my signal pole. Now that pole was a decorated pole to which an army could rally around. 
It's often used in military context, and it was a way that they would regroup their army and get them to return for instructions. Remember, this is before the walkie-talkie and radio and in. So they would raise this signal pole, and it would regroup the army so that they could give them the next instructions. And so Moses naming it, the Lord is my banner. He's saying, hey, you guys, God is our signal pole. He's our rallying point. That is how we're going to find victory in this holy war. So when we are arm lifters and burden bearers, then our friends can boldly stay in the battle with their arms lifted high, and they can find victory, and God gets the glory. Because a her, a her helps you see the signal pole when you're too weary to look for it. Man, there were times I couldn't look for it. I was like Shelby on the bathroom floor, except for maybe not a bathroom floor. But there were times that I couldn't, I just couldn't process. And my friends were that signal pole that says, hey, over here, let's regroup. Let's put our eyes back on Jesus in this moment. And so if you're willing to be a her, you get to be that signal pole for someone. You see, the battle against Amalek that the Israelites were fighting, the victory was always the Lord's. This was a holy war. And the victory was always going to be the Lord's. But the Israelites still had to go through the motions of war. In our lives, the victory is the Lord's. But we're going to have to go through the motions of war. But don't forget who your enemy is. Um, let me read you Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. God is our victory. He is not our enemy. You've got to remember who your enemy is. Friends, your husband is not your enemy. Your diagnosis is not your enemy. Your finances are not your enemy. Your family drama is not your enemy. Your job is not your enemy. Your mental health is not your enemy. Your past is not your enemy. And that thing that has you crying yourself to sleep at night that you think no one knows about, that is not your enemy. Satan is your enemy, and this world is collateral damage. And so what we have to do is we have to call it like it is. He is a glory stealer, and he wants to take us down because if he can stop the praises of God's people, he gets a little bit of victory, right? He can't stop God. God's already won, and we know that. But what he says is, I can take you out, and I can take out your testimony. So we have to remember who is our enemy, but we also have to remember that God is our victory. And we'll go through the motions of war. You're still going to have to see that doctor for treatment. You're still going to have to go to counseling. You're going to have to set budgets. You're going to have to draw healthy boundaries. But the victory, the victory is the Lord's, and we can count on that. We can find, when we say, what is victory? When my world's falling apart, what is victory? It is peace in the midst of the chaos. It's security when nothing else makes sense. This battle's hard. Y'all, I am not going to tell you that it's not. This world and these things that we're facing, this battle is hard. Let some people come alongside you. Let some people come alongside you and be an Aaron and a Her. You see, they could only see the need because Moses let them in his circle. They only saw his arms droop because they were literally right there. You've got to let some people, and I know being vulnerable is not my strong suit, but you've got to let some people come alongside you so that they can hold your arms up and so that they can encourage you during that time. That's how we're going to be her. So as our band comes up, I want to share one more thing with you. 
So I was ready to wrap this up. I mean, we're at the end of the text. We've seen victory. God's people have been faithful to do what they were called to do. I'm like, yes, what a powerful story of God's faithfulness. But then I looked ahead to the next chapter because it just keeps getting better, right? So I looked ahead to the next chapter, and here's what I found. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, who was the priest of Midian, he hears about what God's been doing in Moses' life. And so he loads up Moses' wife and sons who had been staying with him, and he takes them to him in the wilderness. And Moses begins to tell Jethro all that God has done. And Jethro has a change of heart. And if you look at Exodus 18, verses 9 through 12, here's what it says. Jethro rejoiced over all the good things the Lord had done for Israel when he rescued them from the power of the Egyptians. Blessed be the Lord, Jethro exclaimed, who rescued you from the power of Egypt and from the power of Pharaoh. He has rescued the people from under the power of Egypt. Listen to this verse. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because he did wonders when the Egyptians acted arrogantly against Israel. And then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with him and all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in God's presence. It's our story for his glory, right? Our story for his glory. Salvation came to Jethro because of the testimony of God's faithfulness. You tracking with me? I mean, does that get you excited? It's all about the gospel. That very hard thing that you're walking through may be the very thing that God uses to lead someone to him. And so the question I had to ask myself in the midst of it was, is it worth it to me? Is it worth it to me? On my own, would I have chosen divorce for our family? Absolutely not. I hate divorce with every fiber of my being. I hate the effects of it. But if God can use it to bring one person to him, is it worth it? And so as you look at that diagnosis that you received or that hard thing in your life or that brokenness in your life or that thing that you really just wish would go away, if God can use it to bring one person to him, is it worth it? Y'all, God can redeem broken stories. And that is what I have been begging of him. Lord, in my lifetime, can I see one person come to know you because of this story? God can redeem brokenness. And so what, here's my challenge to you tonight as we wrap up and as they begin to play. Will you be a her? Will you be willing to do it? If you're watching people around you who are walking through brokenness, who are struggling, are you willing to say, I know it's going to be hard, I know it's going to be a bit messy business, but I'll be an arm lifter and a burden bearer? Are you willing to do that? And don't say yes because it's the right thing to do because it's a hard thing. But if you're willing to come alongside people and you're willing to walk with them, I promise you this, God is going to shape you and mold you to be more like him. And if you're in the midst of that battle, if you didn't even want to come tonight because you just, it's hard, let me just say, are you willing to be vulnerable enough to let some people come alongside you? And it's, that's hard too. Are you willing to come and maybe just kneel at this altar and lift your hands and say, I'm crying out, will someone come hold my arms up? And friends, if you're, you just said you're willing to be a her, will you join them? And will you say, I might not even know you, and I don't know your story, but I'm here for you. 
and I'm going to share the burden with you, and I'm going to meet whatever your immediate need is, and I'm in it for the long haul. Are you willing to do that? And if you're listening to me and you're like, I'm having a really hard time believing that God is faithful because I don't know him. Friend, let me tell you about Jesus because it changes everything. You know, statistics tell us that 10 out of 10 people die. It's going to happen. There's nothing we can do to change that. And someday we're all going to stand before a holy God and he's going to say, why should I let you in? And you can give him all the, all the stories you want. You can say, well, there was that time I did VBS and surely that'll get me into heaven. Or you can tell him, but I did all these good things and I always went to church, but God's going to say, I'm holy, are you holy? And you might be sitting here saying, well, I'm a really good person. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever told a lie? Because if so, it makes you a liar. Have you ever taken anything that didn't belong to you at any point in your life? Because that makes you a thief. Have you ever looked at someone with lust? Because that says we're an adulterer in our hearts. Have you ever had hate against someone? So now we're standing before a holy God and we're like, yes, let me in, but I'm also a liar, a thief, a blasphemer, an adulterer. And God's like, it didn't, it didn't work that way. I'm holy and you're not. But Jesus, Jesus was willing to come and down a cross for you to pay for that so that someday you can stand before God and go, no, I'm not holy, but he is, and he paid it for me. And God will say, that works. That clears. That is a case that I can say, done, sealed, you can come into heaven. And so if you are sitting here and you're like, I'm hopeless, and I can't believe that God is faithful because I don't know him, friend, today's the day. Because he's not going to, you're not going to walk this aisle and accept him and everything get better. But here's what you will do. You will have a God who's fighting your battles. And you will have a God who loves you and he'll be so kind to you. He'll send you the Melissa, Brooke, and Kellys to hold your arms up and to encourage you. Because that's the kind of God we serve. And so tonight as they begin to sing, just do what you need to do. If you need to say, I'm laying it on the altar, but y'all, I need help. Someone will come and pray with you. If you are watching someone walk through a hard battle and you're like, I've been praying, but man, I need to be doing so much more. Will you make that commitment tonight? And if you don't know Jesus, it would be my absolute privilege to introduce you to the Jesus who has lifted my arms and lifted my head and wiped my tears.